I see him, and then uh, and then then you'll just be one off. Yeah, it's like a, this is this is the, this is going to be the pinnacle of my career now. It's like once you've gone as far as Rogue Amiga, Paul Cafasis, which then technically means I've interviewed John Gruber. It technically means that I was up on stage during the talk show with um, Schiller. With it's like well, and, uh, and Craig, yeah. Well, that, that's it now. It's it's all done. Right. And that's the show, everyone. Ta-da. That's it. <laughs> that was easy. That was great. Check out rogamuba.com. Um, Right. I can try and do some Gruber-esque stuff. So, um, yeah, check out those Mets. <clears throat> that, that's all I know about baseball. Basketball. Sorry. No, baseball. No, that's baseball. <laughs> and, oh, your man there with the bat. Uh, the Who was it? Who corked the bat a couple of seasons ago? Uh, geez, years ago, the most recent one, I'd have to even think about it. Sammy Sosa did it. But... Oh, and uh, another one for you, Barry Bonds. There you go. Little little bit of steroids on that one, probably. <laughs> uh, and that's really, unfortunately, the uh, th- the limit of my knowledge on this sport over there. That's all right. It's, it's not your game. <laughs> not your country. Well, even when we do have a game that's in our country, we still end up screwing it up and losing it to the rest of the world. <laughs> Take soccer, for example, yeah, right. and cricket and anything else that we seem to go, oh, we're half decent at this. And then we just go, ah, you know what? We didn't really want to do it anyway. Well, cricket, you exported to too many countries with too many people. And then, you know, they got better at it than you. Which is pretty much everything about this country, yes, yeah. including <laughs> technology and science and education in manufacturing and production. So where, where are you based in the world, Paul? Is it, are you uh, Canadian? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm in Canada. Uh, I'm in Boston rather, not in Canada. Uh, the, uh, the team is spread out all over the place though. Uh, I'm, I'd have to, I, I can run through the map, but it always takes me a minute. We've got somebody in New York state. Uh, we've got Pennsylvania, we've got Michigan, uh, we've got Virginia, we've got Montreal, uh, up in Canada, we've got Australia and we've got, uh, St. Petersburg, Russia. And I feel like I missed one, but I'd have to uh, I'd have to run through it again. <laughs> I've, I've got to admit, and this isn't me being a complete fanboy because I'm I'm the most cynical person in the world. But whenever I've like had a problem with um, what am I using? Audio? Was it called audio hijack? That's the word. Oh, sorry. It's been a very, very long day and I'm running on like literally three hours sleep and coffee. So this is not going to be good. But at least you're not drunk, joining me on the drunken episode because they're always fun. <laughs> Fun if you like a car crash. Uh, All right. The times that I've called in for support and it's been, blimey, you guys drill down into the minutia of the problem. That's uh, so when the company started, there were just the three founders and uh, I was doing everything that wasn't application programming. So a big part of that uh, over time became the support. And I really, it's not something that I want to go back to, but I did about four years of support for this and some support for other products prior to this. And uh, got a got a pretty good sense of of what you need to do there, and then we've hired some very good people to handle it for us since then, and and hopefully have a pretty good system in place. It's definitely something that we pride ourselves on is is having quality support. So we're I don't know if we've started the show yet. Oh, we might as well just keep going now. I'm recording, so sure. Oh, happy days! <laughs> oh, so what we've what I've subtly done is that a Gruber style show where I've just gone in with no intro. What what's your take then on the whole? Because Audio Hijack isn't available in the App Store. If you had the option to make it available in the App Store, would you ever put it in there? Well, so early on when the App Store, when the Mac App Store came out in, uh, when did it actually come out? 2011, I think, maybe 2010. Uh, 
we looked at what we could put in there and Piezo, our sort of simpler audio recording app, it's sort of a little brother to Audio Hijack, was what we worked out. We realized we could uh, engineer this in such a fashion that it would be able to be accepted to the App Store. And we said, all right, we'll give this a try and it'll be a little bit less expensive. It was, uh, I think at the time it was $15, now it's $19. Uh, we put it in the store and you know it got some pretty good reception. It, it did all right, but it didn't really make a whole lot of money because the App Store was not terribly popular at the time. Uh, so it was, you know, it might've broken in even to the top 20, top 10 charts, but that was not a whole lot of money. And if it doesn't stay there every day, it's, it doesn't generate a whole lot of revenue. So it was something where, you know, we experimented with it and we said, all right, well, we'll try this. It's, it's obviously something that we should take a look at anyway. And so the next product we put there, the only other product we put there is Fission, our audio editor. And that's still there. Uh, that's done all right. But in the years since we got Piezo in there, they changed the rules uh, as far as what's allowed in the store, uh, such that a couple of years ago we had to remove Piezo, and we didn't really regret it. So the 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 looping this back to your question, it's something that uh, the store has not been terribly useful as a revenue source. So it's not something where we're really pushing to get our apps into that store and uh, really trying to get stuff in there. I think what I think if you look at it, uh, you know, broadly, you can see that. Uh, a whole bunch of companies put their software in the store and Apple did not do a whole lot with the Mac app store and still hasn't done a whole lot with it, you know, six, seven years on. And since then you've actually seen a whole lot of companies pull their software back out of the Mac app store. Uh, we had to do that with Piezo and, and others have had to do it with various applications that couldn't be sandbox, couldn't follow their sandboxing rules that they put into place after the fact. Um, so I think it's, it sort of hurt the store a little bit, but it hasn't hurt us because the store never became that one source for where people go to look for their uh, for their applications, excuse me. And, you know, ultimately we're okay with that because most of our stuff can't get in there. But even if we could get everything in there, I don't know that we'd uh, try too hard because there's a whole lot of hassle associated with it. Every time we do a release, we have to wait for it to get approved on the Apple side or we have to release direct to our direct purchasers first. And then whenever the App Store finally approves the software, we release it. Uh, there's there's just a whole lot of ways that it's not a great experience for for anybody, uh, not just for us, but for our users as well. And so the benefits there have not been uh, too too great. And so the the very short answer to your question is that uh, we would certainly look at it if more things were possible to get in there. But it's not something that we are terribly excited to have happen or or interested to have happen because things work pretty well with direct sales for us. At least there's one good thing about the Mac App Store is that it's not the shell of a graveyard that it is on the Windows App Store, which is just horrific. Absolutely horrific. It's it's the worst of what you could imagine uh, a Windows App Store would be. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh. Well, and, and that's that's unfortunately often the way it is on Windows software in general is there's a whole, whole lot of junk out there. And there's obviously some very good applications, but there's a whole lot of junk that just sort of uh, clogs up the pipes for everybody because if you're looking for an application, you'll find 20 versions of an application yep. uh, to do image editing or recording or whatever you want to do. And 19 and maybe even all 20 of them will not be very good. Oh, yeah. Uh, my famous story is um, I was unzip- I had to go and find a program to unzip some weird format. And I think it was only 7-zip. So I thought, 
I'll be the loyal citizen here. I'll go into the app store, um, downloaded this program, and it was taking forever. And then it suddenly dawned on me that it was basically an advert for a game of solitaire that you could pay for, and they'd slowed down the extraction process. And that was when I went, right, okay, I'll just go and get the old trusty WinZip. Yeah. I mean, do you think that Apple's lack of doing anything with the app store is kind of where they're at with the Mac in general then? Because... To me, it always feels like Apple is only doing something about a product when it's right on its last legs, right at the very, very end where I think people are going, you know what, I don't think I can justify spending money on a Mac because it's that old. Do you think the two are tied in together a little bit? Well, it's it's clear that their focus is on iOS and the iPhone and then, you know, the tangential devices, the iPad, the the watch and, and even, even the uh, Apple TV. Uh, but you know, we we just saw Apple's quarterly report, and Mac sales were up ten percent uh, off the previous year, which is pretty great. Uh, especially as a Mac developer, I want there to be more Macs out there because that means more people who can purchase the software. And you know, so it's something where they released a new product, the MacBook Pro, and suddenly sales go up. So maybe there's a correlation here. Maybe if you release new hardware, people will buy it. Uh, maybe Apple will start to realize that. I think if anything, what we saw was that, you know, let's see, I'd, I'd have to really think about it, but just throw out a number, you know, two to four years ago, Apple really focused on the iPhone to the detriment of the Mac. And over time, things got old, you know, you're talking about the MacBook Pro, obviously, but also uh, the Mac Pro. And, uh, you know, we haven't had an update to the Mac mini and uh, things get older. And, and like you said, they get on their last legs. And finally, Apple says, Oh, you know what, we got to update this. But it looks to me like maybe they're swinging back a little bit towards the Mac. And unfortunately, that takes time because if you take your focus away from it for several months or years, however long it was, uh, it's going to take time to get back to it. Even if you decide today, hey, we want to ship a new Mac, you're not going to be able to do it today. It's going to be six months from now. It's going to be a year from now. Uh, So I'm hopeful that uh, the two aren't really related, that they do notice that the Mac sells pretty well and makes billions of dollars uh, and and has a huge ecosystem built around it. And certainly you currently at least can't have iOS without the Mac. Uh, you can't develop software for iOS without a Mac. So at the very least, you need uh, a few hundred thousand Macs out there for the iOS developers. But there's obviously also you know a huge Mac ecosystem that still exists and is, is obviously growing uh, or at least no longer shrinking. Uh, so I'm hopeful that this was sort of more of a temporary blip and, and that the the sort of inattention to the Mac App Store is tangential at best to that, because the Mac the Mac exists fine on its own without the Mac App Store, whereas iOS doesn't. No, no, it's quite funny thinking back because it was a bit of a shock when was it AMD and Nvidia just released their Mac drivers out of the blue, and then a couple of months later we get news about uh, you know external GPU support. The, the conspiracy theory in my head wants to say that Apple have started pushing all this because they knew what iPhones were going to be coming out down the pipeline, and this was a way to keep their shares up. But I, I, even I realise now saying it, I might be stretching that conspiracy theory <laughs> just a little bit too thin. Yeah, I, I, I try not to, to delve into that too much. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, uh, you know, who knows, basically, without getting enough, without getting any information on the Apple side, it's it's difficult to actually determine what the truth is so it's fun to fun to theorize though at least we've sort of um gotten over the whole criminology of the invites because that seems to have stopped over the last uh, the last two invites 
Well, I think there's criminology over who got a, an iPhone 10 to, to review now. And oh uh, yes, I was gonna I was gonna touch on that. It's uh, well before I give my views, what what's been your um, what's been your view on this of the because there has been the traditional old guard, hasn't there? Who every year they get an iPhone and yeah, quite rightly so. But then some of these people suddenly got booted off for YouTubers and for people that gave it to their kids to give a review to it's it reminds me of um an i fix it video where scratchgate came apart because uh this parent gave her child an iphone and some keys and lo and behold scratchgate was born <laughs> because you can scratch metal with metal well so i think it's it's interesting to see that this this release uh you did have different reviewers you had some youtube reviews that came out pretty much they were the first thing to come out uh alongside like one or two reviews from uh, some tech journalists. So obviously Apple has, has at least with this release, decided we don't need to focus solely on tech reviewers. We're going to shift our focus a little bit and say, you know, here's some, here's some fashion vloggers that uh, we want to, to take a look at the phone and, and show it off. And here's some, you know, uh, just YouTube stars who are a different audience than we've, than we've gone after before. Um, I mean, as somebody who basically has only looked at the tech reviews for the past 10 years, uh, it's a little different at least and, and maybe a little unsettling to say, oh, I actually can't get the reviews I'm looking for yet because uh, they haven't had the phone long enough or at all. Uh, but ultimately, I think it's, it's, you know, it's a little bit of inside baseball because these are the people, the people who write about the phone are also the people who can write about how they can't yet write about the phone. Uh, so they have a, a megaphone and they can say, you know, I don't have a phone yet, or I don't ha- haven't had enough experience with the phone because, uh, Apple chose to focus on some other people, but it opens up some other new markets and, and, you know, or, or you know, increases their visibility there. So I don't know. I, th- I think it's perfectly fair game for Apple to say, you know what, we want to try something different and we want to show this product off sooner to other people. And, and, you know, it's, it's up to them to do whatever they want, uh, in, in general, as far as just a consumer, uh, I'm certainly not concerned about it. It's it's something where the phone is widely known to be available now. And, uh, you know, if you want to get information on it, you can go to the Apple store and get it. You can read about it in plenty of places at this point. Uh, so it's not something where I think there's there's too much of a, a, a real issue for consumers or anything like that. But why have we not got Notchgate? <laughs> uh, you mean, know, it's it's the first phone that hasn't come out. We haven't got face gate or notch gate. It's the first phone that's come out without a gate, unless it's reviewer gates where reviewers can't get hold of them. Well, hold on, we the phone's been out for two days, so thirty six hours or so. So uh, it's it's not enough time yet. Uh, oh, there's always enough time for outrage on the internet. Who needs to f- form? Who needs to have an opinion that's formed when you can just be say whatever on the internet? Well, you don't, course, you don't need facts no to be on the that, internet. But, uh, Jeez. And Antenna Gate took, I think, at least a week or two to, to happen. So, I mean, I don't want to jinx it. it. Maybe there will be no no stupid gate with this one, but uh, it's certainly possible that we'll get something shortly. Uh, we can always hope and pray, but it just, it always staggers me that whenever a new phone comes out, it's the same thing. It's like people try and prove how bad it is rather than how good it is because you can just see these people that get a brand new phone that I'm probably never going to be able to afford for the, like the next year and they just go, I've got a phone, watch me drop it on the floor. <laughs> okay. Will it freeze in liquid nitrogen? Oh Jesus! Seriously, seriously, well, will it? Will an iPhone freeze in liquid nitrogen? It's oh YouTube. You've got a lot to answer for. 
Well, I guess the question, do these people make enough money off the ads of, you know, just smashing a phone or whatever? I, they must, right? Or they wouldn't do it more well, than once anyway. Th- from what I've seen of the backdrops, it's always very metropolitan. And uh, what was the one? One was in Dubai. One was in uh, okay. China on the front. So these aren't the sort of places where the cost of living is cheap. So I'm thinking maybe. Okay. Maybe, uh, it's almost as bad as those, uh, what they, the reviews where they're all jump cut videos where someone will be talking and then they just basically cut out something like a Max Hedrum style. Oh, I'm getting uh, old. So hold on. I'm getting a call from both you and Cyrenac. Should I yeah, answer that? Yeah, yep. Let's see if okay. this works. No. Oh, fantastic. It's a, it's a typical podcast for us. Three, <laughs> three weeks. I'll be the, I'll be the relay. So. Oh, geez. Three weeks. It's been seamless. Absolutely seamless. We've been able to hear each other and then we get the mega superstar. That is the Kafasis on the, uh, on the podcast. And then it all goes wrong. Freaking <laughs> typical. Uh, out and coming back in so we'll see if this works damn it i knew this is going too well i just bloody knew it and it had to be today didn't it so have you got an iphone x or are we calling it 10 well, so let's let's see. I I don't like to do product reviews. It's not it's not my forte. But uh, uh, it's it's a lovely device. It's the screen is very nice. It's bigger than I want it to be. It's heavier than I want it to be. Face ID works very well. Uh, Face ID is very nice because uh, it's it's a small thing. But a lot of things that you previously used Touch ID for, you had to. Uh, sort of, there were multiple steps. You'd open an application like One Password, then you'd tap the little fingerprint button, then you'd put your finger on the home button. Uh, now you open it and it just switches to Face ID and it, uh, since you're already looking at the phone, uh, it recognizes you and you're good to go. Uh, so that's something where there's better security than there used to be uh, and it works more seamlessly. Uh, so I think that's a really nice sort of jump uh, in terms of usability uh, just as a day-to-day sort of thing. Uh, I don't know. Beyond that, it was very expensive. Uh, there's there's no getting around that fact. Uh, and I I don't love it. I don't hate it. Uh, I haven't. The, the reason I I said earlier the reason uh, I, I said earlier that I get a new phone pretty much every year, and a, a big reason is that I use the camera a lot. Uh, it's pretty much the only camera I take with me, and it's uh, so having the best one is is obviously every year it gets better and having the best one is is obviously a nice thing uh so i haven't really had enough time to use the camera very much so that's that's the thing that i will likely appreciate the most but overall it's very nice if you're interested in it there's no no reason that i've seen in two days to not get it but it's definitely big and heavy and uh i i miss the iphone 5 form factor still so uh Maybe one day we'll get back to slightly smaller phones. Uh, I miss the the curved back of the three G and the three GS. Oh wow! Okay, that's that's going way back. Yeah, now. I mean because it was like the first fidget spinner, really. Because you put it yeah, down on yeah. a bar and you just spin it round, it round, it round. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, the, I, the price I always uh, I always liked the four. <clears throat> I have to say, I really liked the four, which is so actually. The four the, the was four. still small, right? The five is when they yeah. got the bigger display. I, I can't keep yeah. track anymore. There've been so many of them. <laughs> I know. I, well, I did like the five, but I, the actually the industrial design of the four, I particularly uh-huh. like the one with the flat 
glass slab front and back and the oh but that, that had the glass on the back yeah okay see i never liked that because it you know you're i did i never saw a purpose and they added it back to the tent obviously uh and there is a slight purpose on the tent but i never saw the purpose of having a glass back which could break so easily uh well it, if, you, yeah. if you're careful enough obviously it's gorgeous but i think the idea obviously is, is you know radio transparency right sure. in the in the in the five they did that aluminium body but it had two panels top and bottom which were glass although they didn't look like they were glass but uh on the on the back of the five and the five S, the top and bottom quarter are glass panels again for radio transparency. Right. I think. Well, how ridiculous is it that we're that we're reminiscing about the iPhones of our past, of our youth? Yeah, uh, and I'm on a six S. And uh, although Futuremark have come out and said that the iPhone isn't slower, I would beg. To, sorry, they, so iOS 11 doesn't make old iPhones slower. I would beg to differ because since I've gone to iOS 11. My iPhone 6S is running like a complete bag of nails, and the battery life is more, is measured in half a day rather than a day, or maybe even a working day. It's just gone shocking, and I haven't changed the the way I use the phone. Um, but at least they brought back one thing, even if it was a bit clunky, and that's the 3D touch task switching. That's back, which was removed, but it's definitely not refined. It is it's janky the way it happens. There seems whatever they've done is if you're selecting text from the left hand side of the screen, it's so hard now because it's just it's too much on the cusp of ah, you're on the left hand side of the screen, you want to switch between apps. I see. Yeah. Well, so that's that. I guess that's another thing about the iPhone 10: the uh, the app switching using the uh, what's effectively the virtual home button uh, at the very bottom of the screen. So switching between apps just by swiping is really nice, especially as a Mac user because it's very akin to the app switcher, uh, where you can actually cycle through apps pretty quickly. Right, I just want to make sure that I've got a recording going on here because I've got a distinct feeling that something isn't working. Right, give me one second. I've oh, you're now doing the wires working. Something else has to go wrong. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I think it's. I'm not sure. Uh, let me just drop a mark here. Uh, right. Two sex chaps. Hold on. Uh, no worries. So, uh, Simon, are you recording uh, wire itself, or are you recording uh, your microphone? You're recording wire itself. Uh, I uh, what I do is I run through a string in Audio Hijack. So I've got a, a Dynamics processor, a equalizer, denoiser, yep. and I output I output that to loopback. Then I have another string running the soundboard, which also feeds out to the same output in loopback. So yep. I can do I can do this, for example. <laughs> There you go. And those then feed that output, which I call input to visa, voice over IP, mm-hmm. uh, feeds into wire. And then I have a third string uh, running wire. And then all three strings have another output, which is output to recording, which I record with Sound Studio. I know I can do it in um, Audio Hijack, uh-huh. but I've, I've had some difficulty with getting that to not to keep the things separate. Okay, I it see. Wants yep. to try and merge yeah. them into into one stereo track, which yep. isn't helpful because when I want to edit it, I want separate tracks. Preferably, yeah, yeah, preferably me and the soundboard on one channel, and and Mark and the guests on another. And yep. and Mark does basically the same. Okay, yeah, you guys have a you guys have a pretty good setup there. You got a pretty intricate setup in uh, inside of Audio Hijack. 
Yeah, it's fairly, it's actually, I, I suspect mine is possibly more complex than it needs to be. And then as a backup, uh, as a backup, I run Piezo, okay. which simply records, which essentially require, records the wire output. Yep. So that, again, gives me, uh, it, it gives sides, me basically right? a, yeah, yep. it gives me both sides. Again, the same, me and the soundboard on, on one channel and uh, the guests and Mark on the other. And that's just my my fallback in case something falls over. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and in fact, I I actually started out simply uh, when I started because I haven't been doing podcasting very long. Uh, when I started, and Mark would make the recordings, but I I I got hold of Piezo simply as a backup. I see. So yep. I would I, I would literally just record wire with Piezo. Yep. To begin with, as a fallback, and I did. I have actually written an article on the. On the podcast page that's right that's right yeah, yeah. Mac. I, I wrote a piece because somebody put something on medium uh i wrote a reply to that and then somebody in our group might have been john nemo actually picked up on it and said you should expand on that and and make it into a piece so i did um that's right and, yeah no yeah. i i, I it, that was back in uh, i'm looking at it again now yeah that was back in uh what was that august that uh, that's uh, that's yeah. the piece that i was looking over and i had seen the setup before yeah absolutely yeah, and that is basically the setup that I run. And then I, I usually take the when we're done. If I'm editing, then I take uh, I take a listen to both the outputs from Piezo and from Sound Studio, decide oh. which one I'm going to use, and then I I uh, edit with Audacity. Okay. Um, <laughs> so you're using Sound Studio to record. You're using a different editor to edit. There's no one-stop yeah, ha- yeah. shop for it. So, for example, I use Reaper because I can drop markers in and do a bit of editing, which is brilliant. Oh. But you can't do a, an automatic truncate silence like you can with Audacity. Uh-huh. So you end up sort of doing several bounces, or I do, before you then whack it over to Orphonic to get your your final clean feed. And I know there's probably people, uh, audio engineers out there, screaming, saying that there's a better way to do this. And if so, let us know, please. I need my Sunday afternoons back. There's there's probably a dozen different ways to do it, but if uh, if basically if the end result is something you're satisfied with, that's that's the first thing to make sure you get right. And then if you can find a way to optimize it, great. But uh, if if the process works for you, that's there, there's when we when we look at Audio Hijack, we see setups and we see complicated setups, and we sometimes try and improve them. But uh, sometimes it's just you know this works, the person understands it, and that's good enough. I've only just realized. Because I was going to ask you a minute ago, what do you prefer? Uh, why have you, haven't you got any Windows apps? And I've just been onto your website for the first time in ages because your programs are that flawless. And I know I sound like a fanboy here that <laughs> there's just no need to go to your website. Sorry, Paul. That's all right. Um, if, you, if you've already got the software, then uh, not going to the website's fine. Well, I've just noticed that you've become a Windows developer. Uh, well, so we have one Windows application that we've had for, oh, geez, I think about a decade. I'd have to look exactly. But uh, yeah, we have Airfoil for Windows. Uh, that's the only the only application we have on the Windows side. But uh, we do have one one Windows application. So what 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 are you developing in? Are you uh, Objective C or C Sharp, or have you gone over to Swift at all? Uh, so on the Mac side, everything. Well, I shouldn't say everything. On the Mac side, mostly everything is Objective C because that's what we've been doing for almost uh, you know for fifteen years. Uh, on the Windows side, uh, we've had to port that over to to C Sharp and. Uh, then we've also got some Java for for our Android receiving application, but yeah, it's it's almost exclusively Objective C. And then in the past, uh, 
I'd have to look at it, but the past year or so, we've done some Swift work. So some some parts of some of our existing applications, some new parts of existing, existing ugh, let me try that again. Some new parts of existing applications uh, have been written in Swift. And then we have a new application that we're working on that is largely Swift, uh, but we're not doing anything where we're saying, all right, let's port over our hundreds of thousands of lines of Objective-C to Swift because it's not a good use of our time. It's not a good use of uh, anybody's time. Uh, the the things that we have work, and Objective-C is, is pretty well established, so we're not worried that uh, tomorrow it's going to stop working. But when we're looking at newer things, we're certainly looking at Swift and uh, doing some of our work in Swift anyway. So when Rogue Amoeba first started up, and obviously you are quite an established sort of player in the field now, why go Mac? Why not go for you know the bigger platform out there? What what was the driving force to support uh, the Apple stuff? Well, who the hell wants to use Windows? Yeah, okay, that's that's, that's mean, that, that one. That's, well, that's that's the I mean that's the the flip answer. But uh, so the three of us who started the company, we were Mac users. Uh, had been Mac users, and this is so we started the company in two thousand two. Uh, but we'd worked together on some other projects previously for a couple of years. And uh, so at a time when the Mac, this is OS 9 is when we had first started working together. Uh, at a time when the Mac was certainly not ascendant, uh, it was uh, probably Steve Jobs was back, but, you know, and the iMac was out, but the Mac was not uh, what it is now, obviously, established and, and uh Solid would be the word I would use. So uh, we were we were Mac users and we enjoyed using the Mac. And at the time, there was a, a really good ecosystem of, a small ecosystem, but a good ecosystem of people who were committed to the Mac. And uh, OS X came out in 2000, 2000 I guess, right? But uh, 2001, really. Uh, and 2002, we started this company and we had a product and we said, you know, We've made this for the Mac. This is what we want to make, and this is this is what we use every single day. So that's that's what we want to do. It was not something where we said, "Where can we generate the most revenue uh, for our return on investment?" And you know, we didn't have a business plan. We didn't have a uh, we had we had a product that we liked. We had Audio Hijack 1.0 back in 2002, and we said, "I bet other people will like this," and we released it. And uh, enough people liked it that we said, "Okay, let's make a new version." And we made a new version, and uh, even more people liked it. And and over time, it got to a point where we had you know a suite of audio products that uh, were exclusively for the Mac, or almost exclusively, not counting Airfoil. Uh, but it's not something where we said, you know, this is where we're going to make the most money. Or uh, it was just, you know, this is what we did. We worked on Macs. We liked using Macs, and uh, there was no impulse to say, let's let's try and work on Windows and and see if there's money there. Uh, but the the other side of that is also that uh, as Audio Hijack especially got more popular, uh, it would get into a magazine like Wired, and we'd get emails from people who would say, oh, this is on the Mac. Why, why isn't it on Windows? How can I do this on Windows? And, uh, you know, so we, we did hear from people who said, you know, you need to, to port this over to Windows, and, and you know, Windows has 90% of the market share or whatever. Uh, but it's never been something that was appealing to us. And also, Windows has a huge market share, but it does not necessarily have a huge market share of people who are paying for software. Uh, there's plenty of solutions out there that are free, even if they're not very good. And there's plenty of software out there that uh, you know is not necessarily as polished as we like our software to be. Uh, you can get things done on Windows, but you can't necessarily get them done in a in a good fashion. And I think it's led people to sort of accept software that is not as good as it should be. 
So we've, we've always said, you know, initially we started on the Mac because we were on the Mac. And since then we've said, you know, the way we develop software, we want to make deep applications that are high quality. And, and the word I always use is polished, well-polished. And there's not necessarily as big a market as people think there is for that on Windows. So that's a very long answer. But the, like I said, the, the real answer is, you know, we didn't want to use Windows. We were Mac users. <laughs> uh, I, I'm with you on that. Um, for me, I got my first Mac. It was a white MacBook Pro or a white MacBook. It would just be a MacBook, yeah. 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 And I thought, oh, what's all the fuss about? Because, you know, I, there was all the hype and basically I had a bit of spare change. I thought, right, I'm going to buy my first MacBook. And... This is going to sound really stupid, but the reason I stuck with the Mac after that is because one of the first apps that I found that I really enjoyed using was called ImageWell. And all it was was a uh, a little window where you could drag and drop images on there. It would convert them and also resize them. And as I was doing a lot of web work of adding products to a website, just to be able to do that blew my mind. And yeah, absolutely. then when you start looking into other apps like, well, I need to do this. There's normally a pretty decent Mac app out there to do just that. And it was that moment where I'm going, I could spend hours and hours trawling through Windows, which would invariably lead me to CNET or Softpedia or, blimey, back in the day, 2Ks. And you just know it was going to be a pile. (laughs) <laughs> no, I think I think that's the that's definitely the experience that we saw was that uh, uh, there's there's usually a, a very not necessarily very high quality but pretty high quality Mac solution, and on the Windows side there's twenty solutions and, and most of them are not very good. Uh, so it's it's sort of uh, I I don't know how self-selecting it is, but I think uh, it's more difficult to create a a top quality application for Windows and then start selling it. Uh, you could you could get a great market share with a low quality application, but that's not necessarily what we want to make. And out of all your apps, have you got? Um, is there one that's particularly special to you? Is there one that you sort of look at? Obviously, you've got a lot of children on your website, but do you have a favorite son or daughter? Ah, <laughs> uh, geez. Well, I mean, Audio Hijack is is sort of the obvious answer because it's our first product and it's still around 15 years later, and uh, we've it's it's grown and and changed greatly over those 15 years, but. Uh, from day one, it was a tool that let you record any audio on your Mac, and 15 years later, it's still a tool that lets you record any audio on your Mac. And uh, so, I think Audio Hijack is sort of has a special place just as that that first application. Um, I'm I'm looking at our website myself, and uh, you know, Airfoil has been uh, probably our most popular product in terms of just uh, the size of the user base because it's a tool that uh, you know lets you stream audio anywhere around your house. But uh, AirPlay itself was, was fairly popular, and people said, oh, I want to send Spotify to my AirPlay devices, and, and Airfoil was the way to do that, and I want to send Pandora. And, uh, so that's one that uh, has experienced a lot of popularity because it's sort of a, a much more common use case than anything else we make. That's something that almost everyone has at some point or another wanted to do, is send audio around their house. Uh, so that's one that uh, is, is sort of special just because of how popular it was. But yeah, I, I don't know. I look at I look at everything we've got, and it's something that we wanted to make, and and we made because people got in touch with us and said, you know, I want to uh, edit audio, obviously, and I want to create an internet radio station, and uh, so these are these are all things that are special, uh, not just to us, but to to some group of people out there. And if it's a smaller group of people, that's okay as long as it's a big enough group that it's sustainable. I gotta admit, I wish that Airfoil would work with Sonos, and I realise that it's not your fault. But oh, Sonos! I've got the Play One, and you've just made it redundant. Oh, it's an awesome speaker, though. It really, really is. So we we've heard from a lot of people who 
bought Airfoil and some AirPlay devices uh, instead of Sonos uh, because the Sonos stuff is, is fairly expensive, but it's, as you said, it's very high quality. Uh, but it looks like in the future, potentially, uh, the Sonos system will sort of be more integrated with AirPlay. So we'll, we'll definitely have to see what happens there because uh, there's, a, there's a whole lot of, uh, of users out there with, with this great hardware. And uh, it's certainly something that we're keeping an eye on, at least as far as uh, potentially expanding. Because, you know, I don't know how much you followed Airfoil, but uh, it started out just working with the Airport Express uh, about 12 years ago. And then, you know, we added the Apple TV and all the other AirPlay devices. And then more recently, we've made it work with Bluetooth devices and Chromecast devices. So it's something where the initial vision was just, hey, people want to send uh, things beyond iTunes to the Airport Express. Uh, but now it's, hey, people want to send any, any audio streaming around their house. And uh, we definitely want to be the solution for that. So uh, the more popular Sonos gets, the more likely it is that we'll uh, be looking at integrating with that. So stay tuned. So I was just having a chuckle that um, one of the, what people are saying about fishing and it just scrolled off my web, uh, just scrolled off and there was a comment by um, another John Gruber there, which just made me chuckle. That was all. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we, we, we like to collect uh, both, you know, uh, quality reviews and uh, I think that got an editor's choice. So there's a quote there, but then uh, we've also just got uh, the random tweets that we get every once in a while that say, oh, you know, fission saved my butt this weekend. I needed to edit something. And uh, it's, it's, it's always great to, those, those are, those feel just as good as getting a, a good review in Macworld or something like that. Oh, the, the amount of times I've fired up Fission and just gone in to do a sound clip and you literally just use two drag handles to go, done, done, normalize it, out, done. Uh, I really do need to get into more of trying to do chapters with it because I think they're going to be sort of um, coming down the line. In your... Um, here's a, I don't know if you'll be able to answer this. Now, Apple have obviously... Announced, well, sorry, they haven't obviously announced, they have announced sort of support for VBR encoding for podcasts. Has there been much, would you know from your user base if there's been much uptake of that? Do you get any statistics or anything like that about what people output or anything? No, so it's, it's yeah, it's it's not something that we'd have numbers on. If anything, uh, somebody like uh, Marco Armet, who does uh, Overcast on iOS, he has a whole database of podcasts and, and has all sorts of stats on that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it's not. Apple doesn't publish anything. Obviously, they they have a huge podcast directory and they have a ton of data that they don't share with anybody else. But uh, no, it's nothing that we don't really track uh, exactly what people are doing with the software. We we track a few things and uh, anonymously, obviously, but we track a few things. But it's it's not something where we can say, oh, I can tell you're making a podcast and uh, I see that you did it in MP3 or AAC or with chapters or without chapters or. Uh, so it's it's much more organic where we get feedback from users who say, you know, I'm making a chaptered podcast and, and I stumbled on this bit. And uh, it's it's a, a little uh, less fine grained as far as as far as the information that we get. It's more user feedback and uh, sort of trying to take that all in and, and figure out what people are doing with it. So, yeah, VBR uh, in podcasts is is not something that we have any any real data on yet. I, I must admit, I did enjoy uh, when Marco was on the uh, sorry on the ATP show when he said he tried it and it was a failure. But there was one thing that got me about that was it may have Android listeners, and that seemed to be why he stopped doing it. And I I never really sort of associate podcasts with Android listeners. Well, I mean, podcasting definitely is skewed Mac. Uh, but I mean, if you look at you know, This American Life has a huge podcast and. Uh, 
I imagine the BBC has a bunch of podcasts and, you know, uh, traditional media has gotten into the podcasting game, uh, which, you know, obviously means that it's going to go to iOS users and Android users and Mac users and Windows users. And uh, so I think, you know, we we sort of have a skewed view of it because our tools were used for making podcasts so early on on the Mac and Apple's podcast directory is so big, but, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly out there and with, you know, tens of millions or hundreds of millions of Android users, there's going to be millions of Android podcast listeners. So, uh, something like this, that if Apple does it, but Android doesn't for a year or two or ever, uh, you do sort of have to, to worry that, uh, your podcast is not going to be listenable by, by a, big chunk of your audience. Uh, if you have a, an Apple podcast, maybe you don't worry about it too much. We don't, uh, for example, on our website, we don't worry too much about how it looks in Internet Explorer 6 because, uh, you know, we want Windows users to come, but if you're still running IE6, you're not going to be able to buy our software at all. So uh, whatever. Uh, so if, you, if you've got an Apple bent, you can, you can certainly focus a little more on that. But if you have a big enough show or if you have a show that's got a wide enough audience, I think you sort of have to hang back and wait till Android adds support for something like that. I'm going to go completely tangential here because when I do a little bit of training, I like to listen to podcasts. And I'm just reading here that you do a bit of the old marathon training. I do. I, uh, I ran a marathon, uh, what was it, my fifth or sixth marathon about uh, uh, three weeks ago today, actually. So uh, I'm see. lazy, but three weeks ago I was running 26 miles. Uh, see, talented developer and fitness freak. Nobody likes to show off. Jeez. <laughs> you brought it up. I didn't mention it. Well, it's it's only because here um, I'm, I'm I'm trying to get around to the question of what's your oldest, newest bit of tech, but I'm going to go completely around the house as much as I can because I'm just looking at this piece here about your uh, my Apple dumb watch. Okay. Yeah. What's the top? Oh, sorry, I'm trying to read it and talk at the same time, which is just going to be doomed to failure because uh, I've only just found the article. You're training with the Apple Watch. How are you finding that in general? So, right. So I wrote this piece that, uh, yeah, I don't know, you can link to it, whatever. It's, it's basically, I had a, a pretty negative experience with my Apple Watch uh, at the end of October. They had uh, what was called their October challenge, and they gave you a month-long challenge, and you had to do a, a, a customized-to-you thing. But mine was uh, getting about 3,300 minutes worth of exercise that month, which is, you know, over 100 minutes a day. Uh, so it's a pretty, pretty steep challenge. And I completed this challenge, and the watch didn't notice. And it said, uh, it basically said, you didn't complete this challenge. And I said, well, this was ridiculous. Uh, I worked my butt off to do it, and I want my dumb digital badge. Uh, but anyway, so it, long term, I've been using the Apple Watch for exercise and for, for working out for a couple of years now. And uh, especially in the past year since I got the uh, I, I can't remember the, the numbering they use. I guess the Apple Watch 2. I had the original, the Zero, and then I had the 2, which has the GPS. Uh, and I've, I've really been enjoying that as far as a running watch because prior to that, I never had a GPS watch. I would use just a regular you know, start, stop, uh, lap watch and uh, look up a map on Google Maps and, and make a five-mile route, and then I'd run it, and I'd say I did that in 35 minutes, so that was seven-minute miles. Uh, with the GPS, obviously, it's tracking you, and it can say, okay, you actually did... A seven and a half minute mile the first mile and a seven minute mile for the second one and so on. Um, so I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's uh, The GPS technology is really helpful. The calorie counting is really helpful because uh, I had some fitness trackers before. I had a Fitbit and a, a couple other ones uh, that were all using what's, what they refer to as steps. And steps were always sort of this stand-in for calories because the assumption was if you go, say, 2,000 steps, you've burned 100 calories. 
but you know, it wasn't precise. It wasn't exact. And, uh, it was the, the, the whole goal, if you're trying to stay in shape or lose weight or, or, you know, if you're focused on that is, is calories, that's the thing that matters. So once, you know, you have something that has a heart rate monitor and can actually do, uh, not a, not a perfect calorie count, obviously, but you know, a, a decent estimate, uh, you get some, some much more useful data there. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I obviously had this negative experience recently, but, uh, ultimately I've been using it for a couple of years for, for sort of tracking fitness. And that's definitely been probably one of the two biggest ways I've used the watch besides sort of notifications, notifications, and then fitness tracking have been the things that I've enjoyed the most about it. I'd have noticed that they have started putting a few disclaimers in a couple of the workouts. Cause I do a, a hit session once a week and, uh-huh. and they've started saying now, Oh, uh, due to the exercise, it may not get a accurate heart rate because the device may be monitoring. So I wonder if that's sort of uh, in reaction to what sort of what's happened with yourself. Because I've had it as well. When you're running, I end up slackening my watch off a bit because obviously, you know, I swell up a little bit. Right, loosening it. Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, and then when you cool down, it goes the opposite way. So I wonder if it's that a little bit. Any reason why you haven't gone for the Series 3? I mean, you might as well splash the cash if you've bought an iPhone 10. <laughs> well, that's just it. I can't afford it because I bought the iPhone 10. Uh, no, I think... So I waited to get the Series 2. I, uh, I'd had the, the original, so I had it for, uh, what, I guess uh, about a year and a half before I got the, the, the Series 2. And I didn't get that right when it came out. I got it uh, towards the end of the year. So it was, it was something where I don't want to buy a new watch every year. I, the, the phone, I, I don't mind getting a new one every year because I get a brand new camera and it's better and uh, the, the hardware really improves. Uh, a watch to me is something that should last longer than a year. Uh, and you know, I sold my old one and I got a hundred, 150 bucks back. So it, it discounted the price of the new one basically. But, uh, there was a very obvious improvement there, the GPS, uh, that, you know, made a, made a visible difference with the series three. Um, I don't really need the LTE. I, I almost always have my phone with me when I go for a run. I don't take my phone, but, uh, I have music loaded onto the watch and I have uh, Bluetooth headphones that, you know, get my music to me. So pretty much the only thing that I would need it for is, you know, maybe directions uh, if, I, if I'm running somewhere I'm unfamiliar with or, uh, you know, getting messages while I'm out running. But I, I don't know how much you've used an Apple Watch, but responding to messages just with the watch is not great. Uh, using Siri to dictate messages or, or swiping out characters and whatnot. So I don't mind being disconnected for 30 minutes, an hour, a couple hours uh, while I'm out for a run. And so the LTE... Uh, you know, affecting battery life potentially, and certainly adding to my uh, cell bill because you got to pay. I think it's ten bucks more a month, five bucks more a month for it. Uh, it's it's not anything that I'm rushing out to to do. We'll see what happens in a year or two. But uh, the GPS was really the the thing that I I was hoping to get and and enjoyed having after I got it. So that was the big marquee feature change that they made. The three is appealing, but uh, doesn't have anything in it that seems that impressive to me that I need to update again. But it has the voice now. It does. I mean, it's, it's certainly, I, again, there's plenty of features that Apple's touting, but uh, the jump from the original to the two was very nice. And the jump from the two to three, uh, I haven't done it, obviously, and maybe it is great, but uh, it does not seem as appealing to me. And so maybe I can hold off a year or two and get a four or a five. And uh, I'm, I'm more willing to update my watch every two to three years than I am every year. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. I think that's a, a good life cycle. I, I'm, I'm still on the two, and the jump from the uh, the zero to the two was just absolutely phenomenal. Um, I haven't really done much with the with the running in it because I'm more of a cyclist. 
But then this is where it gets a little bit annoying because you can't find any third party... Well, I haven't found any third party devices that will hook up to my Apple Watch. So I use um, uh, Swift to do online cycling. Uh And I can't use my Apple Watch as a heart rate monitor. I have to go and buy another heart rate monitor, which I kind of get, but I just wish there was that little bit more... If they tout it as a fitness device, just make it a little bit more accessible. But at least it's not as bad as a Fitbit. When you had your Fitbit, did you ever notice that when you were driving, it would actually count your steps? Yeah, yeah exactly. If you if you tap on the steering wheel too much, or yeah, there were there were a whole lot of ways to accidentally get steps or intentionally cheat steps. And uh, steps were, I always knew it was a, an imperfect measurement, but uh, especially now getting calorie counting, it's very obvious how sort of primitive that was. But it's good in a way, it's a motivational aim though, isn't it? It's like any part of any device, if it can make you do some exercise, that's a good thing. Just reading here though, updates, 2nd of November, it seems yesterday afternoon my watch finally got done performing a recount. Yeah, so so uh, November, so October 31st, uh, early in the day, I look at my watch and I'm, I don't know, 30 minutes away from my goal and I'm going to go for uh, a run later in the day, so I know I'm going to hit my goal, I'm uh, the monthly goal, I'm all set. And that evening at about uh, 10.45 at night, I check, and I've lost like 300 minutes. So uh, suddenly I'm about 300 minutes away from my goal, and I don't know what the heck has happened. I don't know how this happened, but I'm now uh, a, an hour away from the end of the month. So there's literally no way I can, I can, I can't get 300 minutes of exercise in 60 minutes of time left in October. So I just have to throw my hands up and say, well, I don't know what happened, but I'm not going to get this goal, it seems like. Uh, but so I wrote about it on the first and, uh, I, you know, again, you can read the article, but, uh, basically I said, you know, this, this sort of stunk. I spent the whole month, uh, in the back of my head, at least focusing on this and saying, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to walk somewhere instead of driving there because that'll give me a little bit more exercise. And, uh, so the watch is motivating me. It's good. It's a good thing. But then uh, if at the end of the day it says, ah, just kidding, uh, you didn't, you didn't actually get that. Uh, that's a little demotivating. Uh, but a day later, uh, it, it updated and said, oh, again, just kidding. You did have those 300 minutes and you did hit your goal and, and here's your dumb digital badge. And, uh, so I was, ultimately I got, it worked the way that it should have. But, uh, to me, that's not, that's not the only goal. You, if you make a device that's trying to motivate people and, and you say, you know, you know, go out there and run for five extra minutes. And, uh, you know, these are very good things, but if the system doesn't work and and it works in such a way that it's buggy, uh, and it says, Oh, whoops, I didn't notice that. Or, you know, we took away some minutes or, you know, all these things are sort of, uh, working against the goal that they have, which is to inspire people to do more exercise and, and get more fit. Uh, and it's, it's very clear that there's some issues here that they need to address. Uh, even if the end result is, Oh, you know what? We did track it properly and it worked. Uh, it's, it's disconcerting to look at it and say, well, what just happened here? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how it went wrong, but it's obviously there's some issue some of the time. I, I do love the final sting in this tale because November challenge, Paul, you total 248, <laughs> sorry, 42.8 miles in the activity app last month. Amazing. To win this award, go to 247.1 this month. Right. So it wants me to do, I think <laughs> that's a kick in the it, face, isn't it? It's only it? about 2% more than I did the previous month, but the previous month I had run a marathon uh, and been training for it, and now I'm, uh, you know, I'm still running, but I'm not training for a full marathon. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 obviously trying to motivate you by saying, "Hey, you did great last month. Do just a little bit more this month." But it does not yet have the intelligence to say, "Hey, uh, that was pretty 
you know, extreme what you did last month, it would be just fine if you did pretty well this month and, and you know, maybe 100 miles or, or 150 miles. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, I, I guess my question really is, uh, if every month it goes a little higher than it did the previous month, uh, what's going to happen in a year from now when it's saying, you know what, you just need to be exercising uh, 12 hours a day. <laughs> Uh, to hit this goal. Yeah, setting yourself up for a fail, it, isn't exactly. it? It's, at, yeah. at some point, it's going to be too much, and potentially this November challenge is too much. Uh, at, some, at some point, it's going to be too much, and you're not going to get it, and then maybe it will revert down to something that's a little more reasonable. I don't know. But uh, it's it's interesting because, uh, you know, they've, they've had some badges. They've had some special achievements that you can get, like uh, run a 5K on Thanksgiving here in America anyway. Uh, and that's, you know, uh, fairly simple if you're somebody who's active. And uh, if you're not, it's something that is motivating and you can say, you know what, I can train over the next three weeks and, and go run a 5K on Thanksgiving. Uh, so there have been some that are, are a little, I don't want to say easier, but uh, you know, more, more attainable for a lot more people. Uh, and here they're obviously trying to do something that is personally cal- calibrated for you. And, and you know, if you're somebody who works out a lot and uh, does a lot, it could be something that's you know, past the threshold of what's reasonable, really. I managed to get the, uh, you know, in, they touted this whole thing that if we detect that your heart rate, heart rate is elevated without doing any exercise, it will warn yep. you. I managed to get that the other oh, day. Are you all right? You didn't go to the hospital or anything, I hope. Oh, no, I was playing air drums. <laughs> so you, you were, well, that's interesting. So it should be able to to tell that your arms were moving at least, though. Well, it was, I was doing, well, I was, well, I wasn't doing the full drum kit. I was just doing the hi-hat oh, okay. because I was listening to um, Cleedance Career Water Vive or heard it through the grapevine and you've always got to do the air drum when you hear the hi-hat. But my, uh, you know, you can do this thing with your leg where you trap a nerve in your leg and your leg bounces up and down. I was doing that and it seems like that spiked my heart rate from my resting to my, uh, my anaerobic zone uh, and then my watch goes uh careful now you might be overdoing it <laughs> what i'm just sat at my desk well as long as uh as long as you knew that you know as long as you could tell that this was uh sort of a false positive that's good i'd rather get a few false positives and then have it tell me hey you're having a heart issue like a, an arrhythmia or something and and you actually should go to the hospital uh because i i know they've had some stories they don't pitch this as a medical device but i know they've had some stories where people literally have had their lives saved by this watch because suddenly they have a heart rate monitor on all the time and it noticed, hey, something is going on with your heart and get it checked out. And, and sure enough, you know, it, it actually saves them from potentially a heart attack or something like that. So uh, I'll take a few false positives if it, uh, if it saves a, a few lives. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've been to doctors a couple of times this week, so it turns out I've got abnormally high blood pressure. Uh, but it was something reassuring about seeing a doctor wearing an Apple Watch and going, oh, so you check your heart rate too on your watch. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, it's like, oh, you know, it's finally starting to trickle down uh, in a good way. Um, blimey, talk about going off tangent. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, other random questions I always like to ask our guests is what is the oldest bit of Apple based equipment that you've got which you still use on a regular basis oh interesting so let's see I, I'm looking around my office I'm trying to you know because you know I have so many test devices I have a, an iPod touch uh, like second or third generation that's running literally iOS 4 I think just to test some very old things that make sure things work whatever but that's not that's not really something I use on a day-to-day basis so besides test devices 
Uh, my desktop is a Mac Mini from 2012, so that's five years old at this point. Uh, oh, join the club. I mean, I've got that as well. Anyone who has a Mac Mini has an old Mac Mini because this is not the newest, but even the newest is three years old at this point, I think. Uh, maybe maybe two, but it's it wasn't a big update. Um, so there's that. Uh, I've got uh, again, sort of. It's, uh, it's sort of a weird case because you know I've I've got an Airport Express, uh, the the non Apple TV looking one, uh, the one that plugged directly into the wall uh, that I use again. Uh, I use that for for music, but it's largely a test device for airfoil. So it's something that uh, you know, if I, if I weren't developing airfoil, uh, I might not have that device. So the Mac Mini might be my answer. A five year old desktop is is pretty old, uh, and I wish it weren't so old. I if they're if they if and when they release a new Mac Mini, I will probably get it. So, uh, well, you heard what Tim said. With the Mac Mini remains a, a, an important part of our lineup. <laughs> what does that mean to you exactly? It could mean it could mean uh, we're just going to keep selling this one because it sells you know a, a few thousand. Uh, I've got to admit, Marco. Marco summed it up perfectly. That was nothing more than just vaporware marketing speak from a manager. It was like, oh, come on, Tim. You don't have to give anything away, but that's like, what was it? Um, early last year when they said, we've got important products in the pipeline. Yep. It's like, well, you always have important products in the pipeline, well, don't course, you? I was going to say, of course they do. Otherwise, they've shut up shop. Right, right, exactly. The company's going out of business if you don't have, if you if you don't have important in products in the pipeline. Yeah, exactly. We've decided that we've made enough money. We're just going to go home now. <laughs> that's right. We're just going to count our money and, and that's it. So We can buy half the world. Yeah. That's it. We've done. Steve, we've got Steve's jobs to dominate the world. Yeah, we're off. We're out of here. Yeah, it, it's like, thanks for all the fish. I mean, this is the thing about the whole Mac Pro. When Schiller and Federighi were saying about, oh, you know, we've realized uh, that we've painted ourselves into a corner. How long, did, when did they even start thinking about this product? And then to come out with, say, with nothing about it, so yet there's something coming, it, that's been over, a, coming up to a year now. It, for the, for you're talking about the, having a new Mac Pro. Uh, that's the one, yeah. Cylinder. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to me that, I, I don't know, it, it seems like the focus has definitely been on iOS. I think there's no argument there, but uh, it's a big company, and I wish that they would have more people that were focused exclusively on the Mac uh, and kept things churning such that we had, you know, uh, before iOS existed, before the iPhone existed, and even a couple years into the iPhone, uh, we had new Macs, you know, almost on an annual cycle, and it wasn't necessarily exactly an annual cycle, but uh, the Mac was their main hardware product, and uh, you got new ones frequently, and it seemed to work pretty well, and it seemed to uh, keep everybody pretty happy. And if there was a hiccup, uh, you knew it was going to be fixed pretty quickly because they were going to have a new version or a new model, uh, you know, within a year, within two years, certainly. And you know, the new Mac Pro came out, the cylinder design came out, and it didn't really work very well, and it didn't sell very well, and then nothing, and you know. Something is coming, supposedly, and, and I believe something is coming. They've said you know, pretty firmly that something is coming. But like you said, they announced that quite a while ago. And when is it actually going to arrive? Uh, and how long does it take to get here versus just saying, you know what? The cylinder design was not right. And we're going to go back to the tower that we had. And we're going to soup it up with modern parts uh, and you know, put SSDs in there and get rid of the optical drive and use that space for... Uh, I don't even know, uh, you know, big fans so we can have big GPUs in there. Uh, 
if you if you just released the tower with modern parts, I think it would sell tremendously well uh, to all the people that either didn't get a Mac Pro, uh, the cylinder design, or got one and said, well, shoot, I can't upgrade this thing uh, the way that I need to, so I need a new computer and are starting to look at Windows or are looking at Macs that don't fit as well, like you know, a, a brand new iMac or a MacBook Pro that might work for now, but is not expandable, not upgradable. Uh, you know, it's, it's something where if you realize you made this mistake to me, uh, maybe you just go back and say, all right, we're going to, we're going to redo the Mac pro, but for now, here's the old design with new hardware, uh, new internals. And, and, you know, that's the stopgap instead of right now, the stopgap is just, what did they do? They made the, the cylinder design, uh, did they, they didn't even make it slightly cheaper. They just, uh, added a little bit more in terms of processor power, I think. Well, don't well, get the, the price went up after the events, didn't it? Because we had two events yeah, like, where they closed the store and then they put $200 on half of their bloody equipment, blaming it on the exchange rate. The the Pro, the Trash Can Pro did yep. actually get cheaper because they they basically knocked off the bottom of the, 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 line, bottom of the line and yeah. slid everything down. And I think they, they made some improvement to the top of the line put some more ram in it or something but um overall no they they were just kind of you're stuck with this for and, now at least uh, yeah we're, we're working on something and, else and but for now here's here's what you already had here's, basically here's what yeah basically we've 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 sort of cut a little bit of you know and proportionately not much you know we've shaved 300 dollars off the price or something and um and of course then they touted well we'll be doing a an imac pro uh and everybody started salivating about that. And to be honest, I looked at the iMac Pro and it reminded me of nothing so much as the 2FX. Okay. Now, it, well, because the 2FX, when it came out, was like $8,000. It was the fastest Mac in, you know, available. It was absolutely super-duper, you know, hottest thing on the block. The only problem with the 2FX was in order to get it to be like that, it had been hacked and modified and souped up in ways which meant there was no way forward for it. Right. It was a hot rod of a machine, but it was also an evolutionary dead end. It didn't lead anywhere. It couldn't lead anywhere. They'd, had, they'd done things to it to make it that fast and that powerful. But it wasn't it wasn't part of the main branch. So people who bought those incredibly expensive right. machines found that when they started to get obsolete, that there was nowhere to go with them. They just had to be cast aside and people had to move on to the the newer mainstream. And I just I look at this Mac iMac Pro and I see exactly the same thing. I see a machine that's been hot rodded, optimized you know prodded and poked to get fabulous performance out of it but it's not part of the main stream it would be another dead end in its own right now well, maybe that's the the only benefit is or there. if that happens you'll still have your space gray keyboard and mouse which you can then <laughs> yeah. take wherever you want so there, there's one benefit there if you buy the imac pro and it does turn into a dead end you'll you'll have these exclusive accessories i mean like you know, maybe there's nothing wrong with the, with that that being a dead end. You know, if if it's the the hottest machine you can get, and well, it, it's not like they haven't done that before. We've got the Mac Mini, which is already the dead end. 
<laughs> Sorry, not the Mac Mini, the Mac yeah. Pro. Uh, I think the, the the point is maybe it's less important now, but in the days of the when the FX came out, the, the machines kind of built on top of each other, uh-huh. and quite often you could back in those days quite often when a machine became obsolete you could you could get upgrades to put into it you could put in either a newer processor or an upgrade right. board and and whereas the fx people found that that was it there, there was <laughs> people maybe people don't look at machines in the same way anymore i, don't I think, think i think machines just, have unfortunately become more disposable like you said but uh uh, it's it's an interesting comparison to to something that, uh, like you said, was was top of the line, and I think that thing cost almost ten thousand uh, dollars. Yeah, back in about, about nineteen ninety. It was about eight thousand pounds here in the UK, so you know it was a shockingly expensive piece of kit. <laughs> and also, of course, for those of us who are old enough to remember that, when people start crying and bleating about a, a, a sort of three three and a half thousand pound. Uh, Mac, Mac machine, Pro, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we just start falling around laughing, going three and a half grand. Did you think that's expensive? Because you know? <laughs> obviously, back in 1990, nine, eight, nine grand was proportionately worth a lot more than that. Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, isn't there an argument to be made, though, for the, the, this new uh, Mac Pro that's coming out? That by the, sorry, the iMac Pro is coming out, that by the time it comes out, the specs might be a little bit obsolete. Well, I mean, I think I think they'll certainly potentially upgrade it if that happens. I don't know. Uh, it's it's interesting for Apple to have two different pieces of hardware that we know are coming uh, and that aren't out yet. Uh, it's it's that's definitely not their their usual mo. Uh, obviously, you know, with secret, you know, keeping everything secret, and uh, you know, now we know. Hey, there's two high end machines coming out, and. We've got a lot of information on one of them and another one that's maybe a little farther away that uh, people are interested in as well. Uh, so I don't know. It's, it's interesting to look at this and see, you know, like you said, maybe it will be out of date. But I, I have to imagine that if that were the case, they'd uh, amp it up even a little more than they already have. Oh, yeah. I, I think that because what, we, what they told us was a kind of this is what we're looking at. If something came along in the meantime, they would just push, push the specs up. Yeah, I, I really I, I love this one spec that they've got on the website. Operating altitude tested up to five thousand meters, sixteen thousand four hundred feet. <laughs> <laughs> I I just love that that's just tacked in there, and like no one's picked up on that. Said Apple has stock enough testing, but are holding back to get some sort of supply gates going out again. <laughs> oh dear. Where do you like even that, go right? to test? I'm, I'm looking at this now. Where do you even go to test sixteen thousand feet up? Uh, that's quite I mean, substantial. I mean, yeah, that's, that's that's Everest is uh, what like twenty nine, I think. It's it's just shy of thirty thousand feet. So uh, we're talking a, a substantial mountain here. I'm going to look yeah. small <laughs> airplane cruising altitude. Well, but that uh, that can't be it because uh, your your air, an airplane cabin's pressurized to like eight thousand feet. I think. Uh, yeah, you got a good. Yeah, I. I'm going to send a letter to Tim. Dear Tim, can you explain this? Where, where did you test this? <laughs> oh, we, we might have just actually discovered one of the weirdest oh, Apple put, marketing things perhaps ever. They, perhaps they put some, put, put some sort of poor um, intern in the cargo hold of a, you know unpressurized plane. It could be, it could be. Just, uh, yeah, put this, put this thick coat on and see if you can keep working the machine. 
But why would you test it up to 5,000 metres? I mean, surely if you're living 5,000 metres above sea level, you're going to be worried about other things like the weather and uh, snow drifts and being cut off from society, not going, oh, you know what? We need up here on this mountainside is a new iMac. Yeah, not not a laptop even. Did, did they list this spec for laptops? I've never seen this before. Simon, you uh, found something uh, amazing and, and bizarre. <laughs> I, I will, I'll put the link into the chat and you can have a look. And it's, yeah, blimey. I, I, I now need to go and look. Now I'm looking at the tech specs on, on like the MacBook. Let's see. Does the MacBook list a, uh, a height? Because you'd think you'd have it on a MacBook, because that makes sense. You'd be going up in a plane, so you'd want it to be all that, or, you know, portability, yeah, but the iMac Pro? Right, right, yeah. <laughs> Nobody should be schlepping that up a mountain. Yeah, so the MacBook says operating altitude. The MacBook is only tested up to 10,000 feet, so we've gone 50% <laughs> more uh, with the iMac Pro than with the ultra-portable MacBook. Uh, the maximum storage <laughs> altitude for the MacBook is 15,000 feet, and the maximum shipping altitude, shipping altitude, is thirty-five thousand feet. So if your if your uh, MacBook gets flown over from China and they have to to go to thirty-six thousand feet, I don't know. No, like, no, dive, dive. That's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh, gee. <laughs> oh dear. He, 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 oh, God bless. I mean, the thing is, though, I can just see this in the future that. Um, my iPad or something exploded whilst I was on a plane. And then you could cut to Tim Cook saying, we test all these stuff. You know, like, I remember Antenna Gate where they had that big demonstration of right. this um, chamber. I bet Apple would have the same room in an highly over-engineered Johnny Iveway to say, we care very deeply about altitude. So we built our own barometric chamber right, like absolutely. nobody else has done. <laughs> like a great big iron lug that they just use to test things in. <laughs> I mean, where would you even Excellent. get a power sub? I mean, how would you, if you're up that high, how would you even power the thing? Solar, solar. power, sure. Solar power, yeah, stick up one of them solar umbrellas, Mark. Oh, <laughs> don't, don't overthink, don't think about it too much. Your head might explode. This is, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, besides which, never, never mind the, uh, Operating altitude of the of the Mac Pro, it's more. I should be worried more about the operating out altitude of you. That's right. <laughs> is that, yeah. If, oh, this this is just a rabbit hole that could just go on for a very very long time. <laughs> I I need now to go and scour the rest of the website. I mean, what do they class as iPads? I wonder. I'll do that <laughs> afterwards. This is this is a rabbit hole. Um, we did have a load of Apple stories um, that we were going to go through, but since we've just chomped through an hour and a half of time, uh, I don't know if we're going to have time for any of them. Uh, has there been anything in the world of Apple that sort of caught your eye, Paul, this last sort of week or two that you want to um, have a chat about or anything? I know it's the worst thing to say to a question. It's like, hey, come on our podcast and can you give us some stories give, give us, and do the work? Material. Well, no, the, the, I, think, I think we might have touched on it earlier, but uh, Apple's... Apple's earnings announcements are always insane because they're talking about these numbers that you can't even fathom. You know, tens of millions of iPhones and and literally billions of dollars flowing through the company every quarter. Uh, but the the one that most interested me as a as a Mac developer was the the Mac sales being up. Uh, it was a quarterly record, and it was also you know ten percent over the previous the year over year quarter. Uh, so what would that be? Quarter four of twenty sixteen. Uh, 
And, you know, I joked about this that, you know, oh, they released new hardware and sales went up. Maybe they should take a hint that <laughs> yeah. releasing new hardware helps Mac sales. Uh, but I am hopeful that, you know, that is an indication of uh, sort of the trend <laughs> that we're going to see where uh, I don't think Mac sales had actually dropped. And if they had, it was certainly just a, a, a very small amount, but they certainly were not rising. And, uh, you know, the iPhone sales are, are just constantly rising and, and maybe they plateau at some point, but uh, they're, they're, they've never tailed down in any dramatic fashion. Uh, but the Mac is where we make our livelihood. And it's the thing that I use, you know, as my real computing device. Uh, and the iPhone is more sort of, uh, I, I don't know, people have asked, you know, if you had to give up either the Mac or the iPhone, which would you give up uh, as a user? And it's difficult to difficult to answer, but to me, the Mac is the most important as a user plus a software developer. So that's the that's the thing that I was most inter- interested in uh, to read last week is is how well the Mac is doing, and and hopefully that makes Apple realize, hey, this this Mac thing is pretty popular. Maybe we should pay a little more attention to. It. I think one of the big boosts that they've had is that Apple have finally acknowledged the need for a graphics card that's actually half decent. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, it, and that's always been a bone of consternation for me because uh, Feral Interactive, who, full disclaimer, I work do a little bit of work with them. They have some amazing games out there, but the performance on a Mac versus the PC, all down just to the graphics cards, has been absolutely shocking. And it's almost been like, well, we're not going to put new graphics cards in until we really need them, until we really want to boost our profit share, because all of a sudden we go from just being a productivity machine to productivity and gaming. Well, so they, they definitely, at uh, at WWDC this year, they were talking about AR and, and VR. And obviously, until now, the Mac has been sort of left behind in terms of virtual reality. Uh, and, you know, I think a couple of years back, Oculus was talking about Mac compatibility, and then they basically dropped it because the hardware wasn't there. And I think Apple sort of took notice of that and said, you know what, we don't want to get left behind on this because we do think it's uh, a big part of the future is people doing VR on their on their desktops, on their computers. And I think that was sort of a wake-up call for them that, uh, you know, they do need to focus on the hardware and, and have those those beefy graphics cards to be able to do some things that are, uh, obviously a lot of it is gaming, but it's not just gaming that people are going to use VR for. And if if all the VR use goes to Windows, uh, they're going to be left out, and and that's obviously not something they want. So I think hopefully, uh, it, certainly gamers will potentially benefit from this, but I think it's it's something where the the ecosystem in general will benefit because the hardware will get updated and uh, be updated more frequently, specifically to stay uh, near the top of the line for that sort of use case. Have you, um, as a developer, have you touched on using Metal Two or Metal at all? It's because that just seemed that is one of the things from WWDC that just seems to fascinate me the most. That they sort of gone down the route of well, we're kind of abandoning OpenGL and there we go for direct hardware level integration. And I've been trying to find any information about who's used it or where it's being used, and it just seems really. It, it just seems to be an Apple thing at the moment, like as in Apple are only internally you using it. Have you done... Well, yes, you know, you know, yeah, of course it's their software, but as in external developers. Right, right. So uh, it's not something that we really need. Uh, you know, obviously we're doing audio applications and some of them have decently powerful graphics components. Audio Hijack has a, a visual pipeline where audio is flowing through it and that, that uses, you know, graphics power. But it's nothing, you know, that's straining the system in a way where we need to really... Uh, streamline it and 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 use sort of these top of the line tools like like you're finding in metal. Uh, 
Uh, but I think I think you will see. Oh, I guess that's it. I think you won't necessarily notice that certain applications are using this, uh, but they can take advantage of this. And you know, I, I know some people that work on image editors, and they're looking at some of the machine learning stuff that Apple's doing, and some of the metal stuff to improve things. And it won't necessarily be super obvious because you're not. If you look at a game and it has top of the line graphics, and you look at it and you say, "Oh, those graphics are phenomenal," and you learn that they're using metal, then it's very obvious. You know, metal is is helping them to get these great graphics, uh, but it can also do a lot of things sort of behind the scenes that you don't necessarily visually appreciate, but is, is helping the performance on your computer. Uh, so I, I, I think it's not necessarily something that you would be able to tell is being used, uh, but is, is benefiting more than just Apple's own software. Yeah, I, I think it's Apple talking about it is, is really, I think, them saying, look, we are doing something about it. And but apart from a few games saying you know this game was compiled using Metal or Metal Two, I suspect a lot of the it's just a tool, and and developers will take it and use it to accelerate their software. But it's not necessarily something because it's not something you need to say. Oh, you know, using Metal or you know, Metal right. compatible or whatever. The average piece of software doesn't need to tout that as a as a bullet point. No, exactly. It's not. It's not a headline feature. Although I suspect, you know, a lot of it, it does. If you want to write a review yeah, about it, and you're trying to find what Metal Two software's out there, <laughs> yeah, I want it. Yeah, yeah I'm like game. Yeah, well, no, because I, I want to write my own clickbait headlines. Going games that use metal, <laughs> and not have it come up with some. Oh, what was the search that I just did? It came up with a load of weirdness. It's like, uh <laughs> all right i'll t- tell you no, what like we can it. we'll round off with one final thing paul touched on it a second ago have any of you chaps used any of the augmented reality apps to measure your front room <laughs> nope nope pray not no i've i've poked at it uh you know i've downloaded uh probably a dozen different little ar games and tools on uh on the iphone 7 that i had and now on the iphone 10 i haven't really uh i haven't really played around with it on the 10 yet but uh, it's it's definitely there's there's something there. Uh, it's when they did the demo on stage, they showed a guy playing a game and he's walking around a table and you can see the game in front of him. And to me, that demo was just a snooze uh, because yeah. he's playing he's playing a game that you know it doesn't it, the, the type of game didn't interest me. So that obviously was that already was was no good. And then you know he's seeing something virtually on his phone, and then we're seeing him see something virtually on his phone, and it's it's very difficult to show that off uh, and to make it compelling for people. But when you actually poke at it on your own phone and, and you know, uh, you see something on the phone that's not there in reality and then, and then you sort of look at reality and you look at the phone and uh, there's definitely sort of, uh, uh, it clicks a little bit more for how this is interesting. Uh, I have not yet found a super useful use case for this, uh, super you know, uh, obvious thing that I can say, hey, this is how it was great. Like you said, measuring a room, uh, placing furniture, that sort of thing. Uh, the one that I'm actually interested to to test out the next time I'm out camping is uh, the augmented reality stargazing. So I've had, I've had good luck with some of the stargazing apps uh, that do sort of GPS location and, and uh, can tell you, you know, what you're looking at. But uh, it has never been perfect. You still need to do a lot of work to sort of uh, orient yourself in the sky. And I think with the augmented reality stuff that some of them are implementing, you'll be able to really just sort of point it at the sky and have it overlay exactly what you're looking at. And then, uh, you know, then look at reality and say, okay, now 
I see that constellation or I see where Mars is and things like that. So it's, it's something where um, obviously Apple's really pitching this and pitching it to developers. And there's not necessarily a whole lot there just yet, but I do think it's interesting for the future and I'm, I'm interested to see what comes out of it. I really do think AR is going to be a big thing. You just haven't moment, used it yet. Yeah, but I, I haven't used it because at the moment it really is, yeah, apart from you know an uh, augmented reality ruler or putting a chair from Ikea in your own living room, it's just a novelty. But QuickTime was a novelty when it started and you used to be able to watch little tiny postage stamp sized videos in the middle of your monitor. But look what happened to that. So Absolutely. I, I, I really do think that it will become it will become part of the mainstream, but it's gonna take a while, I think. That's all. But I, I think it's got huge potential. And to round off this somewhat challenging hour and a half podcast. Talking about the future, Paul, you mentioned just ever so slightly you've got a new product in the pipeline. What is it? <laughs> I would guess, I mean, you know, I can't answer that. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, let me guess. You've got something new in, in, uh, innovating in the pipeline. In you've the got pipeline lots of for uh, the future. Yeah. So the shareholders are all, all safe and sound. They don't have to worry that we're not working on new products. Uh, no, we have a product called Farago, and it is due out, uh, I shouldn't even give a date, but uh, we, we're, we're doing some private beta testing right now. It's out to about 100 users. Uh, I actually, when we're, when we're off the show, I will, I will discuss it with you a little bit more. But uh, it's nothing, nothing that we've announced just yet. I will say it's another audio tool. Uh, it's an audio tool that I think podcasters will take advantage of. And uh, I can already tell I want it now. I think, I think it actually will potentially be useful for, for, for your show specifically. But uh, it's 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 not done yet, so we we don't tend to talk about things before they're done. Uh, but you know, it's, it's oh, you sounded just like Tim Cook. Then we don't necessarily talk about products before they're ready to be announced. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I, it's a it's a good policy overall because uh, you know it, it, something could change on our end where we say, you know what, this product's not working, or uh, you know, and I don't want to set expectations that I can't meet, but. It's another audio tool. It's uh, if people are familiar with our lineup, they know we work on audio software, and uh, it's another tool in that lineup. It's not replacing anything in the lineup. So uh, stay tuned. Hopefully, by the end of this year, we'll have news on it. But if not, early early in twenty eighteen. And the thing on the basis of that, you're going to, have to give us some hot news when we're off the show. I think I'm going to round off the show there. Really, there uh, we've been going <laughs> for an hour and a half. Um, Paul, thank you ever so much for coming on our small, piddly little podcast, which is so well organized. It doesn't crash. It doesn't go wrong. It, oh, I still can't believe four weeks, four weeks where it's all gone seamless and we have the mega podcasting superstar that is Porkafasis on the show and it all goes wrong it technically wise. Apart from Audio Hijack, which is brilliant and you should all go and buy it and fishing and Icecast and everything else. If I just to um, come back to what um, Simon said, I first started using uh, Piezo as well way back in the day, and then thought, "Oh, this is good, and it works." Right, time to go and get completely lost in the maze that is Audio Hijack. <laughs> so you you took the easy one, and it was it was perfect. So you said, "You know what? This isn't challenging enough. Let me uh, let me get something." A little it was working, so I needed to break it. <laughs> Well, no, yeah. this was great, guys, and uh, thank you for having me. I, I enjoyed myself, and uh, the the issues we had in the beginning were certainly not. Uh, let's we're, let's just blame the internet. I mean, uh, voice over IP is is famously glitchy, and uh, I think that was the real issue. So, 
And it's always amazing, though, isn't it? Voice over IP has a multitude of problems, yet Netflix can stream video <laughs> at high bit rates with no 4K, problem at all. Yeah, absolutely. But when it comes to audio, oh. It's too difficult. Too oh, difficult. yeah, blimey. Paul from Rogue Amoeba, uh, Rogue, Rogue Amoeba. I always struggle with that one. RogueAmoeba.com. Thank you ever so much. And if they want to get a hold of you on the on the Twitters, what's the other ways they can get a hold of you or follow you and your other blog as well? Oh, uh, the the my Twitter account has gone dormant ever since uh, America elected Donald Trump. Uh, so I'm I'm pretty much off Twitter, but uh, I was and still am P Bones on Twitter and. Uh, the website that was uh, that you were referring to about uh, the Apple Watch experience that I was having was uh, is a website I write called One Foot Tsunami, uh, which is sort of a humor website that uh, hopefully people get a laugh out of. So that's 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 the best way to to find me is is onefoottsunami.com. But uh, really, yeah, rogamoeba.com is is what I hope people find and and find something useful for themselves there. Yeah, and just to buy it here, Paul, we've you know, we not paid Paul to come on the show. He hasn't given us anything for free yet, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, this this is the whole point of getting people like yourselves on the show is to actually learn about the person behind the software and what drives you and you know why you do what you do. And um, I think hopefully the listeners might get a, a little bit of an insight. Well, if, if nothing else, they learned that uh, I had no interest in using Windows, and and uh, therefore I stuck with the Mac. So that's uh, and that's you know what that's 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 a pretty core core part of who I am is I don't want to bother with Windows. And we only took one hour thirty four minutes to get to that point. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, thank you very much. It's been awesome. Absolutely, thank you guys. Phew! Hello, this is me again. After I finished editing on a Monday evening, I just want to say another big thank you to Paul for coming on the show. Head over to rogueamoeba.com because their apps simply are awesome. And that we are part of the Spotlight Network, and thanks to them and mymac.com, this interview would not have been possible. But mainly I wanted to use this moment to say thank you very much to all of you out there that use our Amazon Associate link over on EssentialApple.com, and especially a big shout out to our Patreon people, because without you, this show wouldn't be possible. Oh, uh, yeah, some of you might actually think that's a good thing. Damn it! Right, I'm going to drop out in quick because I'm getting... You know what the... Paul, you know what the most ironic thing about this is? Our guest... Audio Hijack's working flawless. Yes, Audio Hijack is doing its job because it's amazing. But last week, and I kid you not, we had none other than Sim Teller, the developer of Wire. (laughs) The irony here is not lost whatsoever. Right, I'm going to quit because I'm getting some weird error messages and I will be right back. We could always go to Skype, but then I just feel dirty then. (laughs) <laughs> well, I was curious. Did you previously use Skype? What what led you to wire? Um, Skype on my machines just used to ramp the CPU up to an yeah. absolutely bonkers level. Uh, and I'd always get, no matter how I set up my network, I'd always get droppiness and chopping and bitrate problems. Yep. Whereas wire... Apart from today, apart from today, of course, when we have basically John Gruber on the show, is no. yes, you're up there with him. Baseball, 